0: Now, we do not celebrate the Passover. Christ, our Passover, is sacrificed for us. The Passover is established in the desert wilderness by Moses and is to be celebrated until it is fulfilled. And when Jesus Christ died on the cross of Calvary, the Passover is done. Amen. Now there's even so called Baptists that try to celebrate the Passover. If you're celebrating the Passover, if you know what you're doing, you're absolutely denying the Lord Jesus Christ. The Jews celebrate a Passover, not this one, but the a Passover. Because they do not believe that the Messiah has come. They reject Jesus Christ as the <laughs> Lamb of God. But now, when it was established, all right, here it is. I don't want to read it all not. Verse 5 The beginning of months. Your lamb shall be without blemish, a male of the first year. You shall take it out from the sheep or from the goats. You shall keep it up until the fourteenth day of the first month now. And the whole assembly of the congregation of Israel shall kill it in the evening. And they shall take it the blood and strike it on the two side posts. And on the upper door posts of the houses... Wherein they shall eat it. That's the side post and the lentil. And they shall eat the flesh in that night roast with fire and unleavened bread and with bitter herbs they shall eat it. Now a lot of our brothers say, Well, they use wine in the Passover. Don't say so here. You can't prove that from Scripture. Eat not of it raw. God never did okay raw meat. Nor sodden at all with water, neither milk nor water, but roast with fire his head with his legs and with the pertinence thereof, and ye shall let nothing of it remain until the morning. And that which remaineth of it till the morning you shall burn with fire. Didn't have any leftovers. I love leftovers. But then handle no leftovers for the Passover. And thus shall you eat it with your loins girded and got much time. Got a, got a strict schedule to follow. Because we're getting out of here. Your shoes on your feet and your staff in your hand, and you shall eat it in haste. But well, all, you ought never to eat, eat in a hurry. This time you had to eat in a hurry. It is the Lord's. Passover okay for I that's the Lord will pass through the land of Egypt this night and will smite all the firstborn in the land of Egypt this is one of the reasons Mr. Shalom said we ought to pass over God because God's mean both man and beast. Firstborn, that's that's what he says in his article. And against all the gods of Egypt, I will execute judgment. I am the Lord. They don't want a God of judgment. But they can't do anything about it. Because he is a God of judgment. And the blood shall be to you for a token upon the houses where you are. Well, that token is a sign or a symbol or a medallion that says you're covered by the blood. He said, when I see the blood, I will pass over you. And the plague shall not be upon you to destroy you when I smite uh, the land of Egypt. And this day shall be unto you for a memorial... And you shall keep it a feast to the Lord throughout your generations. You shall keep it a feast by ordinance forever. Now forever doesn't mean into eternity. It means as long as this thing rides and it will until Christ. And look real quick at 1 Corinthians 5. Talking about church discipline in the church at Corinth. Verse 6, he says, Your glorying is not good because they were patting themselves on the back because they hadn't excluded that fellow. Yeah. Look how loving and kind we are. No, disobedient and sinful against God's what you are by not excluding that guy. Know you not that a little leaven leaveneth the whole lump? Now, if you didn't know a thing about Wine, you would know that wine is thoroughly leavened through and through. I asked a fellow, one of the researchers at the agricultural experiment farm, UK. Way back in 1971. I said, what I need to know, sir, is, is wine leavened? He said, well, that's not really a good question. He said, wine is leavened. You take fermented wine, alcoholic content wine, Pour a jigger of it in a in grape fresh grape juice, just squeezed. It will ferment that grape juice because it is leaven. It's not a put well. I said, well, it works itself out. No, 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 no. <clears throat> it works itself throughout. Doesn't he just say that here? Don't you know that a little leaven leavens the whole lump through and through? So, well, we need to go do some research. No, you don't. You need to believe what God says. That's what you need to do. He doesn't make it where we got to go do research and laboratories and all that. He just told you. Now, purge out therefore the old leaven. Now, the only way you can get any leavening agent out of juice or anything else is it's got to be pasteurized. And guess what? That's what they do with grape juice. Because as they squeeze it, it's got impurities on the outside of the skin. You see the little cloudy-looking stuff on on the otherwise purple grapes. They got a little cloudy stuff out there. What's well, called glucocytes, and I don't forget all the fancy names for it. But it, but it they are they are bacteria, and they will cause that juice to spoil. It ain't enough to make good wine, make real real wine, cause it to spoil. So, how can you have fresh squeezed grape juice and not have that stuff in it? Next to impossible. Because it's on the skin of the grape. So, what you do, you can do it on your stove, or else you can do it with. With pasteurization process, (laughs) which is all that is, it is a highly regulated system to bring that juice to the same temperature that you kill off all of that bacteria. You can do it on your stove if you watch it. If you've ever made grape juice or jelly, you better do that. Because it won't last. It'll run. So that's what pasteurization does. And that's all. With the juice that we use for the Lord's Supper. It is unleavened. It is non-alcoholic. It is pure. It has no leaven in it. If it did, you couldn't have it. If you did, it would burst the bottle on the shelf. That is exactly it. Now Paul told us this. I didn't have to call an old laboratory. I did. Wrote the laboratory of Welch's grape juice up in Massachusetts or Connecticut, Hartford, Connecticut. But they don't have to do all that. just have to read the Bible. And let God say what he says and believe what he says. Don't you know a little leaven, leaven's a whole lump? Well, now, purge out therefore the old leaven that you may be a new lump, as ye are unleavened, after it's purged out. And that purging for a church is church discipline. For even Christ, our Passover, is sacrificed for us. The lamb without spot or blemish And we eat the bread that is unleavened, and we drink the fruit of the vine with the Lord's supper. Now, there's there's the Passover. So, well, some of the churches or the apostles, Paul, they went into these Jewish synagogues as they were taking Passover. That's right. Why would they do that? You can't show me where they participated. They went in there that they might preach to the Jews because that's where they were. But when you see the churches meeting, no, they're not taking the Passover. For Christ, our Passover, is sacrificed for us. Now, I thought I would bring a couple points out there about, about the Passover. Now, <clears throat> Brother Tim, we had a good Sunday school lesson. Everybody discussing. That means you got a good lesson, you got that going on on uh, Goliath and David. Well, what did David do when he he went and took Goliath's sword? After Goliath was dead, Muslims do it before you're dead. They do it while you're alive. They love to cut your head off and you looking them in the eye. That's what the Muslims do. All Muslims are for that. I don't care who you so it's not a violent religion. You ain't never read the Quran then. Sure, it's a violent religion. Look what they do. You take the Muslims off of the map and see how much is left. Not much, it's Russia. But anyway. So well that's violence. That's what the Jews are talking about. What was the old boy getting ready to do with all the Philistines? Wipe out Saul and all of the Israelites. What are the Muslims, Iran, Saudi Arabia, and all the rest of them, the Muslims, what, are they be, what have they been declaring that they're going to do For the last, I don't know how long. They're going to drive Israel into the ocean. They're not just going to move them out of the country. They're going to move them out of this world. Anyway, these idiots, they're not idiots. They're devil-inspired people that would write an article like that. Pass over God. Anyway, well, we believe in the resurrection. We believe in it every Sunday like it's already been said. We just don't believe that there is a special day that God set apart other than Sunday, the Lord's day. Now you can trace this all out. Find this high day, this holy day, this this Passover, this day and that day and this day and that day. But you don't have to do that. Matthew 12, real quick. Verse 38. Then certain of the scribes and of the Pharisees answered, saying, Master, we would see a sign from thee. But he answered and said unto them, An evil and adulterous generation seeketh after a sign, and there shall no sign be given to it but the sign of the prophet Jonas. For as Jonas was three days and three nights in the whale's belly, so shall the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. Now, you can go back to the book of Jonah and see exactly what Jesus is quoting here. All right. He says, Three days and three nights according to the creation museum and they've done a good study on this Genesis 1 and the days of creation I think it is irrefutable what they put out about that they say those are 24 hour normal days of creation 24 hour days you've got the evening and the morning First day, second day, third, fourth, fifth, sixth. When you have the reference to the evening and to the morning and the number, the numerical digit, it is unmistakably, irrefutably a normal 24-hour day. And they're absolutely right in that. I agree 100%. I didn't need them to tell me that, but I already knew that. I enjoy reading Brother Bong's notes. Way back before there was ever one of those, the Creation Museum. Brother Bong was teaching that truth. Brother Bong believed in the literal 24-hour day creation, six of them. A lot of churches so-called have gotten away from that and believe, oh, that's just a whole long period. Well, you're an idiot if you believe it. You're, you're taking the word of God and wrestling it to your own destruction, trying to, make, trying to make peace with so-called scientists. And they're not very scientific anyway. Anyway, by the same calculation that they arrive at six 24-hour days In Genesis 1, you must use the same calculation in Matthew 12 and Jonah. You've got three days and three nights. Jesus said, are there not 12 hours in a day? If there's 12 hours in a day, there's obviously 12 hours in a night. And if you go three times 12 is 36 hours in the day, and three times 12 is 36 hours at night. And when I used to go to school, we determined that 36 and 36 added up would be 72. 72 hours. So how long was Jesus in the grave? There's no other calculation... But 72 hours. But that was all just part of a day. You don't do that with Genesis 1. And you can't do it with Matthew 12 either. So, we heard about Good Friday on Friday. I don't know what that means. Y'all know what that means, Good Friday. No, I didn't eat fish on Friday either. I love fish, but I wouldn't eat it on Friday. Pork, and beef, chicken, whatever. Anyway. They've got Jesus being put in the grave Friday afternoon. And resurrecting, I expect they met out at Lexington Cemetery this morning at 6 o'clock. Had their sunrise service. Well, the Bible says it was very early in the morning on the first day of the week while it was still dark. Had nothing to do with the sun rising. What it did have to do with that he had been in the tomb 72 hours That's what it had to do with. So by all the calculations, very early in the morning on the first day of the week was somewhere immediately after 6 p.m. on our Saturday because that was the Jewish time. So you get there and you count back Friday at 6, Thursday at 6, Wednesday at 6. And lo and behold, we've got seventy-two hours. But you know what that would do? That would stop all of these holy Joes from making this a holy week and having all of this stuff going on. Well. Yeah. All right. Now I'm gonna give you my Easter sermon. Go to the book of James. Well, first John first, and then James. Huh? Yeah. Chapter 3. Last week I preached about the law. Remember Well, here in chapter 3 of 1 John, verse 4, Whosoever committeth sin transgresses also the law. Well, we talked about the law last week. For or because, I think what they say in Greek, that's a hena clause. Because sin is the transgression of the law. Very brief. You can have all kinds of discussions on the law and on sin and -hmm. what is sin. Now you see what we've got today, because of demons like that guy Shalom, We're not supposed to believe there's anything that's such a sin today. If you listen to what he says, there isn't any sin. The only sin is when you disagree with them. But I don't, I don't agree with him, and none of his ilk. You listen to them women on that show on television, they talk clapped their jaws but they don't know what they're talking about. And one of them said, why, no, nowhere in the Bible does it say anything about homosexuality. What's the name of that idiot that's supposed to be a comedian? It's been 50 years since she ever said anything funny. You know what I'm talking about? Huh? That view? Anyway. Yes, sin exists. And in order to know what sin is, you have to know the law of God. Because you see, if there's no law, there's no sin. If there's no God, There's no law. And no law, there's no sin. Plain and simple. That's why we've got all of our public schools are flooded with evolution. Evolution is godless. Do you know that? They cannot stand any discussion of a sovereign God now sovereign just means he's without equal we talk about the sovereignty of God we're talking about that God is God and he has no equal and the law says thou shalt have no other God before me so They will not have a God who can control their lives. Now, I'll tell you right now, I am not a sinless human being. And somebody said, if I believed like you, I'd I'd sin a lot more. I sin more than I want to. But I'm not without sin. But I am washed from my sins in the blood of Jesus Christ. Thus we see how Christ, our Passover, is sacrificed for us. I've got the blood and he passed over me. So, look at James now. If sin is the transgression of the law and we see the law up here and we've got ten of them. Now that's nothing short of amazing in itself. That God was able to give forth ten laws that absolutely controlled all of civilization For all time. Look what these alleged lawmakers do. Frankfurt, Lexington, Washington. I said alleged. You couldn't get a you couldn't get a train big enough to carry the books of laws that have been made by these alleged lawmakers, these things that they put before Congress and for the Senate, a bill, 2,500 pages, and not a one of them read them. And they pass them because they're Democrats or Republicans. And that's why we're in the mess we're in. Economically. Our God who is. Doesn't say somewhere that he is the. All wise God. He gave us ten. For all of humanity. For all eternity. And you see. These will never be abrogated that's the word never we'll praise his name for these throughout all eternity and we'll also praise his name for jesus christ who came and was the law keeper in our behalf anyway uh i had a guy tell me one time i've kept the law really yeah i've honored my mother and father I said, man, you started way down the list. You ought not start that far down the list. That's a, you know, there's ten of them. How can you start with number five? On a list of one to ten. It looks to me like you'd start with number one. Amen? Number one says, thou shalt have no other gods before me. Have you kept that one? Well, no. Be honest. Have you ever put anything or anybody before the Lord? Is there anybody here that has never done that? Well, I've got a scripture for you. Here in James, chapter 2, verse 10. For whosoever shall keep the whole law, and yet offend in one point, he is guilty of all. You do not have to go down the whole list to find something that you've done wrong, that you've transgressed the law. You don't have to go to number two. All you've got to do is go to number one, and every last one of us are guilty of that, probably long time guilty of that. And that means that you are guilty of all of it. That's why you need a Savior. Amen. So, we're now talking about sin. We know where sin came from. Back in Genesis, God said, uh, Chapter two, and verse. Well, nine, out of the ground made the Lord God to grow every tree that is pleasant to the sight and good for food, the tree of life also in the midst of the garden, the tree of knowledge of good and evil. And he tells the man, verse 15, the Lord God took the man, put him into the Garden of Eden to dress it and to keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man. Now that's what old Shalom don't like. Right there is what he and all of his evolution buddies. What they all agree with. They don't want him commanding them on anything. But he said of every tree of the garden thou mayest freely eat. Now that was pretty pretty nice. He made them all pleasant to the eye. Didn't have no ugly fruit. In the garden. You know what ugly fruit is? Big old look like squashed up uh, grapefruits. Ugly fruit. That's the name of it. Ugly fruit didn't have no ugly fruit in the garden of Eden he said there's all pleasant to the eye and there's all good for food just keep off that one huh he said of every tree of the garden thou mayest freely eat he didn't even say count calories did he I'd say at this time, you wouldn't have had to count calories, or what's that other thing? You, the gluten, uh, gluten sugar—you wouldn't have to worry about how much of that you're getting. Cholesterol, you are getting. Cholesterol—you wouldn't have to worry about that. But of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. It wasn't a herbicide that caused you troubles. But of that tree thou shalt not eat of it. The tree of the knowledge of good and evil, it wasn't anything about the organic properties of that tree not at all it's what that tree would produce in you of every tree of the garden thou mayest freely eat but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil thou shalt not eat of it God how can you be so mean to us and deny us that when he's giving you all the rest of them that you can freely eat and they all look pretty and they all taste good Just this one. Because it's bad for you. Matter of fact, it'll destroy you. For in the day that thou eatest thereof, thou shalt surely die. And that's what the Lord gave them. Well, you know what they did. Satan through the serpent said, "Nay, the Lord hasn't really said that. And I hear so-called preach, ah, oh, the Lord didn't really mean that. Can't we all just get along? <laughs> I hear that all night, don't you? But they ain't. And the devil said, no, he didn't say that. He didn't really say that. You show people what the scripture says, oh, well, it doesn't really mean that. You hear that a lot, don't you? Satan's still doing his thing. But, they did eat. And the Lord came down, verse 9, chapter 3. Called unto Adam and said unto him, Where art thou? Now you all understand, this is three times holy God who is omniscient, he has all knowledge. He's omnipresent, he's everywhere at once. And he's omnipotent, he has all power. There's nothing that he lacks. So why is he asking Adam where he is? That's what you call a rhetorical or rhetorical question for effect. He wanted Adam to know that God knew. And he said, I heard thy voice in the garden and I was afraid. Well, I've got a psychological problem, yeah. Yeah, so did your daddy Adam. He had a psychological problem just as soon as he disobeyed, transgressed God's law. Now God was coming down the cool of the day to talk and to walk with the man. But now Adam is afraid of him. Where did that psychosis come from? It didn't come from God. It came from Adam and his rebellion against God, transgressing the law of God. That was the law of God. God said thou shalt not eat of it. That's the law of God. When God says thou shalt not or thou shalt, that's the law of God. He said I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. And God said who told you that you were naked? Hast thou eaten of the tree whereof I have commanded thee that thou shouldest not eat? What did he say it would do? He said it's the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And then he begins to pass the buck. He says, The woman whom thou gavest to me to be with me, it's your fault, God, because you gave me this woman. And she gave me of the tree and I did eat. I have no I have no responsibility in this. That's what he's saying. And the Lord God said unto the woman, What is this that thou hast done? And the woman said, Well, you see, this, this snake beguiled me. And I did eat it. What my fault is this snake? I listened to that snake. And the Lord God said unto the serpent, Because thou hast done this, Thou cursed above all cattle and above every beast of the field. Upon thy belly shalt thou go. That snake was not already on its belly. The curse on the snake was it to be on its belly. And dust shalt thou eat all the days of thy life. But you think Adam and Eve skating out of this? Oh no. I will put enmity between thee and the woman. You ever wonder why sometimes men and women just don't get along there? <laughs> it may go back to that. And between thy seed and her seed it's a bruise thy head. Thou's a bruise his heel. And there's the first Gospel. Protoevangelium is what that's called. And unto the woman, he said, I will greatly multiply thy sorrow and thy conception. I do not know what birthing babies would have been like had it not been for the fall. Don't know. But he said, In sorrow thou shalt bring forth children, and thy desire shall be to thy husband; he shall rule over thee. If you read in in, in the pastoral epistles, Timothy, the apostle Paul said, I think it's chapter three of 1 Timothy. He said that's the woman shall be realized, her life realized, and her children. Amen. That's what it says. Paul still referring to this. Well. But unto Adam he said. Because thou hast hearkened unto the voice of thy wife. And hast eaten of the tree of which I commanded thee. Saying thou shalt not eat of it. Cursed is the ground for thy sake. In sorrow shalt thou eat of it. All the days of thy life. Thorns also and thistles shall it bring forth to thee. And thou shalt eat the herb of the field. And the sweat. Of thy face, not the brow shalt thou eat bread till thou return unto the ground for out of it wast thou taken for dust thou art, and unto dust shalt thou return. So the curse on the woman is that her desires to the man and sorrow brings forth children. Now, ladies, I'll guarantee you that there ain't no man alive or dead ever experienced childbirth. I can't believe the idiots we've got in this world that talk about men birthing babies. They can't, don't you, idiots! Only women can do this. And for men, now, you think this world is not totally depraved? Men work to provide for a wife and family. Except there's a bunch of them that are too stinking ornery to work To do anything, and God says, if they won't work, neither should they eat. Quit feeding bums. That's what the Bible says. I'm not talking about sick and injured people. Handicapped people, I'm not talking about... I'm talking about otherwise healthy individuals that are too stinking honored to get off their butt and go out and work. That's what the Bible teaches, Phil. I'm just telling you what sin is. And what, what it has brought. Now, the effects of the sin of Adam. We just read the curses. And Adam and Eve died spiritually as soon as they transgressed the law of God. Now man is made up, human beings are made up of body, soul, and spirit. Adam did not die in his body, nor did he go brain dead. But he did die spiritually. And the proof of that is, no longer was there a relationship with God. Matter of fact, he's hiding from God. And before that's over with, in chapter 3, the Bible says that God drove Didn't invite them, drove the man and the woman out of the Garden of Eden and he set up flaming swords, cherubims with flaming swords to guard from them getting back in the garden. Now, that's as far as I can take you on that. They entered into a hostile world that they'd never seen before. Oh, wasn't it, God should have been ashamed of himself. Oh, no. Adam and Eve did that to themselves. They did it of their own free will. And guess what? That is the last time until Jesus Christ comes into the world that a human being possessed a free will. We do not possess a free will. We in our natural selves. First Corinthians 2. I'm going to have time to read all of it. but We do not have a free will. That means that our will is absolutely tainted and controlled by our depraved nature now it's not that there's somebody making you sin is that you are sinning on your own when you state this total depravity man in his natural state is totally depraved he is a sinner By nature, we inherit that from Adam. By choice, and by our continued practice. We're sinners through and through Isaiah, the first chapter. The whole head is sick. From the head to the foot, the sole of the foot. Now, you'll hear a lot about original sin. Ah, uh, I've even known the Baptist preachers to talk about original sin. I've heard them say when John the Baptist said, "Behold, the Lamb of God to take away the sin of the world," they said, "Well, what that means is he was he was dying for original sin." Original sin is what we just read. Amen. And who was guilty of that? Adam and Eve. Now, as a result of that, we get our sinful nature from Daddy Adam and Mama Eve. She's the mother of all living. But we are receiving this from. Adam passed on. Now, the majority of religions that are hanging out under the Christianity umbrella, if you understand what I'm talking about, there's a gigantic umbrella out there and it's called Christianity at Large. And there's all kinds of denominations that are sh- hanging out underneath that umbrella and claiming to be Christians. Well, I'm going to show you some of them. No way I can show you all of them. Too many of them. When the Roman Catholics... Well, it says baptize, but they don't baptize, they sprinkle. But they call it baptism. And this is according to the Council of Trent, which is in the 16th century after the Reformation. And this is where they established their doctrine right now. You can pull it up on the Internet. You can read it all. I've read it all. Do I remember it all? No, I'll just bits and pieces of it when they, according to the accounts of Trent, when they do their version of baptizing, it is to wash away original sin. And all committed sin to communicate spiritual regeneration and grace of Jesus Christ so even their grace is by works. And their sprinkling is the same thing as regeneration. And you say, well, that's Catholic. Well, just hold up now. We ain't done here yet. And to unite the baptized to the living head. Methodist, according to John Wesley, one of the founders of Methodism, they're sprinkled, they sprinkle, I think they'll do bad immersion too, but they do it with babies. It is in order to regeneration. And in the case of infants, to take away their original sin, else they're lost. The design of the Episcopalians at their confirmation service, they asked their name and the baby, who gave you this name? My sponsor's in baptism. Wherein I was made a member of Christ. A child of God. So if you're an Episcopalian or Methodist or Catholic. You were sprinkled or even immersed as a baby. That is what made you a child of God. And an inheritor in the kingdom of heaven. The Episcopalians say, "Dost thou believe all the articles of the Christian faith as contained in the Apostles' Creed?" The sponsor answers, "As a human, an adult, I do." Then the question, "Wilt thou be baptized in this faith? The sponsor answers, that is my desire, answering for that baby. Because that baby cannot answer for itself. The subject of baptism, therefore, does not profess so much his private faith, but the faith of the denomination baptizing him. Presbyterians. Now, this is according to the shorter catechism. I've got it back in my office. <clears throat> Quote Baptism is a sacrament of the New Testament, wherein Christ hath ordained the washing in water in the name of the Father, the Son, the Holy Ghost to be a sign and seal of the engrafting unto Himself of remission of sins by His blood and regeneration by his spirit of adoption and resurrection unto eternal life. Dr. Hart says, we, quote, we are baptized in order that we may be united to Christ and be made partakers of his benefits. This baptism unto repentance is a baptism that the remission of sins may be obtained." Doctor, other doctor says, "Quote: The church makes us Christians by the sacrament of holy baptism, which she always held to be a supernatural force for that very purpose." Don't tell me they don't teach that. The Campbellite denomination. Alexander Campbell, quote, he says, I am bold therefore to affirm that every one of them who in the belief of what the apostle spoke was immersed did in the very instant in which he was put under water receive the forgiveness of his sins. And the gift of the Holy Spirit? If so, then who will not concur with me in saying that Christian immersion is the gospel in water? Could he get any plainer than that? And again, in the Millennial Harbinger, I've got one of his old books back there. Quote The only time the word regeneration occurs in the New Testament. With a reference to a personal change, it means or is equivalent to immersion. Regeneration and immersion is the same thing. They are, therefore, two names of the same thing. As regeneration is taught to be equivalent to being born again and understood to be of the same import with the new birth, we shall examine it under this metaphor for immersion, be equivalent to regeneration, and regeneration be of the same import with being born again, being born again and being immersed are the same thing. For this plain reason that things which are equal to the same thing are equal to one another. Regeneration is therefore the act of being born. Hence its connection always with water. The Holy Spirit calls nothing personal regeneration except the act of immersion. On this side of baptism and on that, mankind are in quite different states. On the one side they are pardoned, justified, sanctified, reconciled, adopted, and saved. On the other they are in a state of condemnation. This act is sometimes called immersion, regeneration, conversion, all the same. And that this may appear obvious to all, we shall it be some pains to confirm and illustrate it. I didn't create all that stuff myself. Now that's pretty much all the main line denominations, isn't it? And I can guarantee you that lots of others, we have not name, believe the same thing. They say baptism washes away original sin. I say we have nothing to do with original sin except we've received a depraved nature as a result of it. But then we sin on our own, we choose it, and we practice it. I was going to get into it. The sin unto death and the unpardonable sin. Real quick, Matthew 12. Here in Matthew 12, all about verse 24, uh, the Pharisees accuse. Jesus, of casting out demons by the power of Beelzebub, or the devil. And Jesus says, verse 31, Wherefore I say unto you all manner of sin and blasphemy shall be forgiven unto men, but the blasphemy against the Holy Ghost shall not be forgiven unto men, whosoever speaketh the word against the Son of Man... It shall be forgiven him, but whosoever speaketh against the Holy Ghost, it shall not be forgiven him, neither in this world, neither in the world to come. Now understand that the unpardon- that's the unpardonable sin. It cannot be committed by a saved person, because there is no forgiveness during- in this life or the life that is to come. And then in First John, he talks about the sin unto death, which is a sin committed by saved people. I had luck on that. I won't get time to do all that. But yes, we believe that sin is real, and sin has to be understood in the light of the existence of a God of holiness, a God of judgment, and a God of law. And sin is the transgression of the law, and we are in this veil of suffering that we're in, because of sin and the only remedy for that is the gospel of jesus christ repent and believe the gospel is what the bible says how that christ died for our sins according to scripture was buried and rose again the third day according to scripture